good morning to everybody who will listen to this. It's a good Saturday, and we'll be back with you in just a moment. Have you ever wondered, is there more to the Word of God than just words on the page? Join us for an in-depth journey into the truth of God by means of open, Socratic conversation. In Proverbs chapter 2, the Word of God says, If you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, And if you look for it as for silver, and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord, and find the knowledge of God. Welcome to Hidden Treasures Revealed. Well, Sean, how are you doing this morning? I was just thinking about that before you asked me. I'm doing well this morning. How's your day going? Well, it's early so far. <laughs> it, dogs, it's just started. It, dogs are fed. That's pretty much it. I understand. I'm awake and dogs are fed. <laughs> With this topic for this morning, and we're going to discuss just another area of importance of understanding for people. We've spoken in the past uh, about women and what their role uh, and responsibility in a faith perspective in claiming and having faith in God that there is an expectation of that. And with men, it's the same. And it's really important that we understand that in this day and age, People are not being taught to be godly. Men are not being taught to be godly men and to know how to carry out their godliness in their marriage and family relationship. See, there's a interesting thing with men and women that started at the fall. And that was their consequence, their curse, for their part in the disobedience to God. And the fruit that they ate of was disobedience. It wasn't an apple. They didn't pull an apple off the tree uh, and eat of that fruit. No, they, they ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which brought about the disobedience to mankind. And because of that, everyone after Adam and Eve, the born in this life, would have, uh, anyone born of Adam and Eve would then, at that point, would have had the knowledge of good and evil, function and dysfunction. And when we look at the curses that were placed on man and woman in that instance, because everybody who was involved in that disobedient act, including Satan, the enemy of God, every one of them had a curse put on them. The only one that had a curse 
that was not able to be lifted and is not able to be lifted with Satan. That his curse is eternal because he was in the kingdom of God. He was on the fiery mount. He walked among the fiery stones. He knew uh, the things of God. And this is the way that he, he chose to go. So uh, there's no opportunity for faith when you know when you've already been in the presence of God face to face, then you walk away from it. There's no opportunity for you to have faith because you know it and you've walked away from it. And there was a punishment that Eve would desire that women would desire to have a husband and he will roll over you. The uh, curse for Adam was with painful toil, you will work the ground all the days of your life. Okay. All the days of your life. Part of the painful toil of man is how much, uh, Pain is there involved in relationships. There's relationships that are not godly, that are not built from a reality perspective of the truth of God. There's a lot of pain and toil, and you're trying hard to work it out, and a lot of times they fail, and they fail miserably, and then people end up in divorce. Some end up divorced, staying together in the same house but living divorced lives. And so it's a part of the aspect of the curse that was put on that is intended, that curse is intended to be relieved and released. And I'll explain uh, how the release comes, but at circumcision of the heart, where the wife falls in line with the reality of truth of what God wants her to live. And then, uh, in essence, her, her husband doesn't rule over her. God rules over her. But that doesn't mean that God still put in place a line of authority and the man was put in place as a leader and Adam didn't do a very good job in the beginning leading Eve, uh, especially after she ate the fruit and then he let her lead him into that temptation. I'm not blaming her for it. He, he made the choice, but he let her lead her, him into it. And so it's really important that we understand that your day of rest that comes at circumcision of the heart, that that is when your eternal day of rest begins, that you have circumcision of the heart, you rest from all your work. It doesn't mean you won't labor, but the labor that you do, you're not doing it to try to please God. You're doing it because it's right and it's 
fair and it's appropriate. And God has taught you how to do that by you following the life of Messiah. And following the life of Messiah is also how you get a good example of what a man in this world should be, what a man of faith should be. And if you're not striving to be a husband of faith that you want to be the best that you can for God in the the role that you're in, then don't pay any attention to what we talk about today because it's not for you. This is for the husband who is seeking God with all of his heart, who wants to know the truth and wants to handle himself, handle himself and conduct himself in a way that is uh, right, fair, just. And his objective goal is to please God. That That's the objective goal in it is you please God and then everything else falls in line behind that. We live in a world where men are taught many different things about what a man's supposed to be and what it's supposed to look like. And without faith, you can't really know how to carry it out and you can't really know what it looks like because again, like we've talked about before, that you have head knowledge and you have heart knowledge and you can read through the Bible and you can see the godly men of uh, Noah and uh, Abraham and just Elijah and uh, Boaz and we can go down the line and you can see them but until you experience what it's like, you only have head knowledge about it. You have to actually experience and live like they lived and do what they did with their mindset towards God because it was their faith towards God that gave them the ability to uh, walk and work within what God's design of a man was. But even in the midst of that, we had uh, those men that were that had made mistakes along the way, and that started with, <laughs> that started with Adam, and then go went on down the line, and we see that you know each one of the godly men that a lot of them you can see that they made mistakes along the way. David with Bathsheba and uh, Moses, some of the stuff that that went on with him and. All this stuff leading them to have a mindset, but in the process, what God designed man and woman to be in the very beginning, before the fall, before they ate of that fruit, was not what we see in today's world. It, it's not what we see at all. And I, I'm just as much in a process of continuing to change to line up with the way that God wants me to be and work it how God wants me to work it and not continue to go on what you're programmed in this world for because this world programs you for a lot of different things and you think you know what it is that a man is and you think you know what it is that a woman is, but the reality is is that the only way for you to really know 
is for you to go to the source. And the only way for a man to really know what and how a man's supposed to be is to mirror Abba and Messiah. And then a woman to uh, mirror the spirit, mother. Because they're the ones who are living it perfectly. They're the ones that we want to model after. What, what would the father say to the spirit in a specific situation? How would he say it? What would, uh, what would his wording be? Would there be attitude behind it? Would there be selfishness behind it? These things that we don't take into consideration. And because a lot of what we do is built in the selfishness that we have. And that's the programming that we have. So when we're acting out as what we think a man's supposed to be, we're really only acting in selfishness. And this goes back to what we've said before, that with without faith in God, without the fullness of faith in God, you can't get away from the selfishness. You do everything you do for selfishness. And then after you have circumcision of the heart, you have a, a process of continually removing that programming of selfishness that you've had. And it's your selfishness that causes you not to be and live what God wants you to be and what God wants you to live. The faith that we talk about, Sean, is a faith of confidence. It's not a faith of waves tossed back and forth. It's not the wishy-washy. It's not the, the, the soft, fluffy. You have to know your faith. And I know this from the past because I've done it and many people do, is that you convince yourself that you know that, yeah, I, I, I've got it. I'm good. I, I got this. And you jump on this fire train there and we got to tell everybody about it and we got to keep putting the word out there. And, but that's not, that's not what it is. That's not what it's about because you start to question and those questions may not come every single day for some people. They may for others, they convince themselves that they're okay until things start to fall apart in their life. And they start to figure out, well, I wonder what, what happened? Why are things going this way? Why am I, am I really saved? And the reality is, is that if you don't know your salvation, you will have those questions and it will put you in that position of being tossed back and forth like the waves. And because of that, we're not able to have a steadfast, steady uh, ability to be what we're supposed to be until we've been transformed and then we continue to work the transformation as we live out the rest of our life. So we have to be, we have to be faithful in all things. 
and our faithfulness to God will be the thing that will allow us and give us the ability to live a life of a man of God that you're supposed to be instead of making professions about what you're going to do and telling others, you know, men of God, you have to rise up and do all these. No, we have to curb what we say and ramp up what we do. It doesn't matter. I can tell you a thousand words about what I think or what I feel or what I'm going to do. But until the action comes of actually doing it, it's nothing. It's meaningless. You're just trying to fool others and yourself to think that, yeah, I'm doing this and I'm doing this and I'm doing this. But I don't care what comes out of your mouth. I'm not looking when, when we're looking at somebody who's on the faith journey and they're moving toward circumcision of the heart, we're not looking for what they say because we know that in the process, you, you may want it bad enough that you're trying to convince yourself that you have something that you don't have yet. No, I want to see that your faith lines up with the truth of God. And I will see that by your actions, by you as a man living up and and fulfilling the actions of the truth of God, the faith of God, and then I will know that you have faith. Words are, are meaningless because you can deceive people with words. You can tell people something, but when you act, that action tells on itself whether good or bad. That That's a fact. No matter whether you do something that is good and functional for God or do something that bad and not functional, once you have the act, then you've already shown your hand. You've already put out there what you believe or what you think without even realizing that's what you've done because your mouth will say one thing and your words will say another. You will say you love your wife But then when she asks you to do something, then you get frustrated with her. You get up, you get upset with her. Why? Well, you said you love her, but your actions show something different and you can sit there and not, you don't have to say it out loud, but the look on your face, the, uh, you're huffing around that you don't know you're doing because it's in your programming that you don't think other people can see. And that's, this is why body language is one of the biggest communication uh, things that we use that if you pay attention to somebody's body language, you will know if they're, if they're being truthful or not, because they're going to live it out. I mean, They can sit there and and sell you a good story and try to fake it, but just watch them. Wait wait for about a half an hour, 45 minutes when they don't think you're looking. They don't think they they don't see that anybody's paying attention and you'll see them turn around and do the thing that they weren't supposed to do or they show an action that 
shows that they're not walking in appropriation with the reality of truth of God. We have to stop talking. Don't talk a big game. Don't don't get out there and do the the whole. Uh, well, we're going to psych them out. So we're before the football game, we're going to say all this stuff about them, and we're going to tell them that we're going to stomp them into the ground, and you know that type of stuff that happens in athletics, where it doesn't happen all the time. Just keep your mouth shut. Let your talking happen on the uh, on the event floor or the field, wherever it is, because that's where it's at. And if you're someone who is just about doing the task and getting it done, then you're not going to care what somebody else says anyway. They can belittle you. They can put you down. They can uh, do all kinds of things, say all kinds of things, and your mindset's going to be, well, we'll just wait and see when we get in the competition field. If your actions can back what your mouth is saying, great. No big deal. If I lose, I lose because I lose. But I'm not going to lose because I let you get in my head and convince me of something. Well, why do I do that? Because I'm not confident in myself. And so... One of the things of a man of God is there must be a confidence, not an arrogance, but a confidence. Why would we live in a faith that's based in the reality that you're supposed to know your faith, but not be confident in a decision that you make? That You trust in this faith. We trust God. We trust that we're continually having conversation with God, and we trust that they're going to uh, give us guidance. And if along the way we step out and we make a mistake, God will make it clear that they'll let us understand that we made a mistake, and they'll give us the tools that we need to be able to work towards fixing it. That's the objective in the midst of it. You're going to, from time to time, because we are human, that we're going to misstep along the way because we've been programmed to misstep. And until we remove the programming, then we can't do it appropriately. And so we have to continually dig into what am I doing? How am I doing it? Is is this what I'm doing, selfishness? Is is it because of my own selfishness? Or is it because it's the right thing? It's the reality of truth. And your attitude, your demeanor, all those things will show. Even if there's a time when there's a frustration shown, like Messiah did when he cleared the temple. That, But he didn't clear it because of his selfishness. He cleared it because of the actions that were taking place that were profaning the name of God by them buying and selling and and turning the temple into a marketplace and, and also making it a den of robbers where you're selling things that are not worthy of being sold. And 
we have that in this day and age. We have men who are in churches that are trying to sell themselves as this godly man, but yet they let women have control over them. They, if mama's not happy, nobody's happy. So we're just going to, you know, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not, and there's a balance in that. We'll get more into that type of stuff later on. But the reality of it is, is that the faith that we're talking about is a faith that is built in confidence. It's a confidence that you have that you know. And I can tell you from the time I've had circumcision of the heart until now, it's been five, five years, that I have not had any question of whether what I have is true. I know now that what I have is true. And I don't have to question it because I know it. And that's the the, the reality that the Bible lets us know that you have to know your faith and you have to be confident in that faith. But be confident, but not arrogant. Uh, confidence is you speak the truth and then you leave it in God's hands. Arrogance is you you speak something, whether it's true or not, and you're going to try to force somebody else to do it. Or you're going to try to convince somebody else to uh, believe you or follow you or do what you're uh, do what you're doing. And that's not the reality of it. Men in this world need to learn how to live as a godly man in order to be able to treat their wives in such a way that if they are a godly woman, they make it that much easier for her to be a godly woman. And if she's not a godly woman, it will show the example that's necessary for her to make a transformation to be a godly woman. It's all by your actions that you will speak to her by what you do. And with this world of faith that we live in now, there's so much confusion in what's right and what's appropriate and what's not that people don't even question it anymore. They just make a decision and go with it without making sure that it lines up with the truth of God. And anybody who's going to be a true man of God is going to, first off, make sure that any decision you make, the words that come out of your mouth, that to the best of your ability, that you are taking every thought captive, you're making it line up with the truth of God, and you have reason for why you give an answer that you give. That if if I'm going to tell you something, I may tell you that something you're doing is inappropriate, okay? I have to have a reason why I tell you that. It can't just be, well, I just see you're doing this wrong, and, and that's not right. No, that's not, that's not, I, I need to keep my mouth shut from a faith perspective because God gives reason for everything that they do. Whether you understand it or not, doesn't matter. But there's always a reason, and you have a reason for what you do. But a lot of times you won't voice it. Why? Because it's your selfishness that is the reason and in your lower conscience you know that and so well i don't want to say that i'm selfish so i'm just going to say well this is the right thing and you need to do it 
Well, give me a reason. Anybody in faith, if you're going to profess something, give me a reason. If you're going to tell me to stop sinning, to repent to God and stop sinning, then give me a reason to do that by you stopping sinning instead of you saying, well, I've repented, so, uh, but I still sin. And you tell other people, stop sinning, repent to God. Well, that's all based in your selfishness because you want to feel like you're safe. But the reality is, is no, the reason you want to stop sinning is because that's disobedience to God and God will not tolerate any disobedience and any disobedient act will be put into the kingdom, uh, into the, not the kingdom, into the abyss, the area of flames. And so just some important stuff to uh, recognize. And I know I've been going on a little bit, but I'm going to, Sean, I'm going to turn it over to you a little bit and see what you have on your mind. And, and we'll see where mother goes with this. What I have on my mind lines up exactly with what you were speaking as well, because with the truth, we're unified. Going to go back to the Garden of Eden. And the way that God made man was it said that God put Adam in the garden. It was later on that Yah took Eve out of Adam. So the whole concept of the one being was the unity. The, the unified being until Yah separated, but ultimately they were still to be unified even though they were separated, but we can we know for sure they weren't unified because if they were, then Adam would say, no, we're not eating this fruit because God said don't eat of this tree. But she ate it, and then he ate it, and then the disobedience came. And there's a scripture that I was thinking about this this morning. And this touches on what you're speaking about. Messiah made a statement in regards to when he came to that age where we refer to as the age of accountability, knowing the right from the wrong, knowing what his purpose was. And his statement was this, here I am. I have come to do your will. Oh God, not come to tell your will. Oh God which he did tell it. What came to mind with this for this was it's exactly with what you said. We spend so much time telling other people, telling our wives, telling them what to do. This is what you've got to do. But us telling them our actions don't line up with what we're telling them to do. I'll give an example. And the word example is a part of as well. We are called to be, the example, Messiah was the example. So in the word itself, leader, you can look at this as, let's say, from a husband to a wife, that lead her, leader. You live the godly life. You lead the person. And Messiah said this to the disciples when he called them that follow me do what I'm doing. And that's the thing. When you follow the leader, you are walking as the leader is walking. It isn't that God doesn't want us telling people things. 
the telling must line up with the doing. If you are doing what you are telling the other person to do, then it's okay to tell them because we know Messiah told people what to do, how to do it, but his telling them was in him doing it. And it goes back to a teaching that Messiah gave, which was clean the inside of the dish and the outside will be clean as well. And that goes deeper than just cleansing the inside, which ultimately he's talking about get rid of sin because when you get rid of sin and you clean the inside, then what comes out will be clean. And also means what's in your lower conscience, the more you put godly in, then what's going to come out is going to be clean as well. It's going to line up. So it's so important that as a man, that whatever, for example, if we're looking for somebody to change something, you live that change and you don't live the change just to get somebody to change. You just, you live what is right to do and do what is fair and just, and the other person will follow. And if they don't, then that's on them. But the best way to get and the, the focus of this isn't why well, I'm doing this just to get somebody to change. The focus is doing what is right and fair and just before God. And when you do that, Yah will take care of the other person. That's what we'd be getting into that leave the other person alone. That doesn't mean that you don't tell them things. It just means you focus on you living the truth and Yah will take care of the other person because in you living that, they will see the example and you'll be evaluating yourself more and more. And then therefore that will help the other person and it'll give us the best way to actually tell somebody something because, Hey, I can see this in you because I'm living it and evaluate this. And then you leave it alone. Then you just go back to you living it. But you know, this as well as me is that your programming is what do you program to do? Well, the Bible says, wife, you're to be submissive. Okay. Well, I can tell my wife that, Hey, the, the Bible says for you to be submissive, but why am I saying that? Am I saying that because hey, this is the right thing to do, evaluate what you're doing, or if you would just do this, it would make me feel better and make it easier. Oh, it's a selfish reason. Okay. And this is just an example, but the majority of the time is not that you really want your wife to know that, or we could turn it and the wife could say, doesn't the Bible say that you're supposed to love me as Christ loved the church and gave his life for it? Yes, it does. And that's my, my focus. That's what I'm doing. Thank you for reminding me. And you go on about it, but the, the most of the time it won't be as a help. It'll be for, well, if you would just change, then I could do what I want to do. No, because the things that the word of God say are for both people, but it's for each person to actually listen to it and apply it. There's a scripture that says this as well, that ties with this. And it says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes. So people would say, well, everybody has faith. Well, yes, everybody does have faith, but faith in Yah comes from hearing and listening, which means applying what is being spoken. That faith, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And in order to have faith, you've got to do what the word of God says. The faith is shown in your actions. And going back to what you said about this, Yah is not looking for what comes out of your mouth. They're looking for what actions you are doing. 
And when you do those actions, what you say out of your mouth will line up with the word of God. So you telling somebody and professing is it's supposed to be about it lining up with your conduct first, because we could say, God, I repent or I repented to God. And God could look at you and say, I don't see any evidence of repentance because I don't see any change of action. So it doesn't matter if you, you talk about repent and you need to repent, but if you're not actually walking in repentance, then don't say it. I can see that you're walking in repentance because the word says that I, that Paul said, I taught them that to prove your repentance by your deeds, well, your deeds show without faith, it's impossible to believe God. Show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by what I do. That's the key is you want to know if somebody has faith, then the actions will show. Don't waste your time telling me about faith because if somebody is walking in the truth of God, you can sit there and say whatever you want, but I can look at you and know that you're not doing this just because the, the actions don't line up with it. We spend so much time attempting to correct other people instead of applying it to ourselves and making sure that with indignation, longing and alarm, as it says in the word that you make sure that justice is done at every point, men make sure that within yourself, that justice is done at every point. Look at yourselves and evaluate is my life in faith lining up with the word of God. If it isn't, then there's no need to tell my wife what she needs to change. If I'm not actually being that good example, then what I tell her is not going to help. What's going to help is to see the godly example that, wow, this is right and fair and just. Okay. And then leave it alone because I was thinking about this, that we are not called to change somebody else. We're called to change ourselves. And we have proof of that in the Old Testament because Yah makes a statement. He says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, which means if you humble yourself, then you humble yourself before other people that you make other people, the priority over yourself, you humble yourself. It doesn't say for you to tell somebody else that they need to humble themselves. It says that you humble yourself and you pray and you seek Yah's face and you turn from your wicked ways. Then it says, Yah will step in and he says, I will heal your land. Your land is actually your life, ultimately your lower conscience, that Yah will give the ability to be healed, but as well, just like, like fill your house here, you've got your land. Well, Yah will take care of Cindy. Yah will take care of your kids. And that doesn't mean that, well, that means I don't have to do anything. I just, no, it just means you live it right. Yah will take care of it. And it's just a, just a great encouragement because y'all didn't say, all right, you need to tell all these other people what to do and then they'll change. No, if you want somebody to change anything first, the other person has to choose to change. And two, why would somebody want to change to what I'm doing? If I'm not, what am I doing to draw that person to this truth? And I remember you'd mentioned, we had mentioned this before the Gandhi statement that you're Jesus. I like, it's his followers I don't like. Why? Because, and I'm not saying all, but a lot of people will say things, but they don't live what they're saying. And then therefore, I can see that you're not living it. 
quit telling me in words what to do, show me in actions what to do. And then when I see that, and then it lines up with your words. And that's why Messiah, the people saw that he spoke with authority. The reason was, is because he spoke the truth and he left it alone. He didn't sit there and try to convince and, and get all upset and all riled up like the Pharisees and Sadducees, but they could see that they weren't living it. And the people knew that, and they could see that they were just speaking it with their lips and they weren't doing it with their actions. And that's why Messiah rebuked them, calling them brood of vipers and hypocrites, because you're telling people to do all these things, but you're not giving them any example of what to do. You're giving them the bad example and then telling them what to do. You're telling them, do as I say, not as I do. And no, in faith, don't do that. Men, we're not called to go out and tell people what they have to do. And you just have to do this and you just get along with it. No, you live the example be a man of God with Yah's help and show people the godly life. If you want somebody to have the opportunity to change something, give them the example so they can see the appropriate change that must be made. A lot of this is just based in selfishness and we want to get what we want. So therefore we just tell somebody else what they have to do. And then just, then if they'll change, then my life will be better. No, the only way that your life is going to be better and the only way that you're going to have that true peace, which is internal, is for you to do what is right and live this faith the appropriate way. And that's where your peace will come from, no matter if somebody never changes. Because with people out there, you might be in a situation where you're not guaranteed that the other person that you're married to is going to change anything. So since there's no guarantee of that, you live it the best you can. And that's the best way that the other person has the opportunity to come around. But you just have to consign yourself in your mind that you're going to live this faith, no matter how it affects you, because it's what's right to do. And it's what I want to do before God. And then God will take care of the other person. And if they don't change, then don't uh, abandon your salvation just because somebody else doesn't do something. So this is a, this is so important, but the, the main thing that's been sticking out on my mind, even meditating this morning and now, is do your speaking by your change of action and conduct. Let's stop speaking with our mouth and not doing it with our actions. Let's speak with changing our conduct to godly conduct. And then what comes out of our mouth, make sure that that lines up, but stop just wasting energy and time on telling, 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 and let's start doing and walking in the the true faith of God. So my, my thoughts were just lining up with what y'all was bringing out, being unified with that. Well, one might argue and say, well, what does that mean? I have to be a, a, a doormat? Well, you might think no, but yes. And, I, and I'll explain. Well, what is the doormat? Well, it's the lowest thing next to the next to the ground that you rub the dirt off your feet onto. So if I'm going to be a man of God, then I'm going to be a doormat. So let me explain. Have you ever seen the doormats that they're made with that uh, real bristly type material? I'm not talking about just a, a flat, real thin mat that will get destroyed quickly. I'm talking about the one that 
you sit out there, it's about an inch thick and it's really bristly on the top. Well, that that's a doormat. It has a purpose. See, if we're going to walk the example that Messiah did, then we need to walk like him. He humbled himself even to the point of making it known to his disciples that he was there to serve them. He was there to be the doormat to take the, the dirt and mud off of their feet. And the example he gave was when he washed their feet, that he put himself as the lowest of the servant to wash the feet of those who were actually in reality who were less than him. But that's what humility looks like, is that I'm going to put myself in a position to serve you by my actions so I don't have to exalt myself. I don't have to uh, put on this big show so that you will be drawn to me. No, he came with no splendor that we should be drawn to him. Why? Because he came to show us how to be the doormat. Let me ask you a question. When somebody wipes their feet on the doormat, does the doormat get hurt? No. No. Now, it'll get dirty, but then what do you do? You take it, you hose it off, clean again. And you just wash right away. So you don't have to worry about the objective goal in a marriage relationship. Uh, for the husband, from this perspective, what we're talking about is... Be the doormat, but from the right perspective. That doesn't mean that you're just gonna you're just gonna let her do whatever she wants to do and and that's gonna be okay. No, you gotta have that bristle because that bristle's there for a purpose that, hey, you can't be acting like that, but I'm just going to sit here and if you want, rub the dirt off your feet. If not, then go walk around dirty. That that that's up to you. But I'm going to have this bristle here so that, hey, you need to you need to look into this situation because it's an important thing. And we saw Messiah do that with the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees when he had conversations with them. But he was giving them an opportunity to recognize the bristle on the doormat for them to be able to use it to cleanse their feet, for them to be able to cleanse themselves. And so you be the example but again, there's a balance in it because it's not a thing that you're just going to sit back and let somebody run all over you, meaning from the perspective of uh, like a woman trying to be exert authority over a man and, well, I just, just have to take this and well, I just have to do what she says. No, no, the doormat doesn't have to do what anybody says. The doormat has a purpose. It has a reason. It's a it's a uh, position of humility, but it has an important thing because you can clean your feet off before you enter into the house, so you don't track dirt through the house. And they have these things. Uh, sometimes you see them at hotels and uh, construction sites called a boot scrubber, and it's just wide enough, got real stiff bristles on it, and you run your boot back and forth through it and it knocks the majority of the mud and the dirt off of your boot. 
The boot scrubber doesn't care. It's not sitting there yelling at the person of, well, why didn't you, why didn't you wash your, your boots before you came over here and rubbed them? Well, then you would have no purpose. So you have to know what the purpose is and know that like the boot scrubber, those bristles on there, you're not going to run your foot through there without a shoe on. I mean, you, you'll, you'll, you'd get uh, your foot all scratched up and, so you you wouldn't do that. You no, you, it's it's designed for a boot. So if you try to do it in an inappropriate way, then you're going to get hurt. And it's not the boots uh it's not the boot scrubber's fault. It's not the doormat's fault. It's yours because you misused the product that you had. You didn't approach it from the right perspective. And Messiah coming to be an example that we should follow in his footsteps, this doesn't mean that we're just going to uh, adhere to anything anybody says. No, what it means is, yeah, I'm going to trust you. I, I want to position myself so that others have an opportunity to clean their feet on me so that they can enter your house clean. And so if you have to bristle at me and get mad at me and say all kinds of hateful things to me in the process, and then you find that faith, I'm happy to take your dirt from you. And I go on, I uh, move on to the next one. The aspect of thinking, well, you don't have to be a doormat. Well, you have to be the doormat. You have to be humble from the design of humility. And the design of humility is not to let somebody think that they're right rather than don't let it bother you. Don't, if somebody speaks something that's, that's not right or they do something that's not right, hey, that's inappropriate. You, you, you might want to uh, clean your feet and then go on. If they step over the doormat, well, they're not going to get into the entrance to the house. They're not going to get into the, the faith, the kingdom of God, because they didn't clean their feet. And in order to enter the, uh, kingdom of God, you have to be cleansed. And this is why we talked about before about getting rid of sin and not having any sin instead of you continually trying to get into the faith house of God while you still have blemishes and stuff on your, your feet. I mean, look at the ritual that it took for the uh, priest to get into the most holy place. They had to wash with the basin, then they had to put on uh, perfectly white clothes, clothes along with the other adornments that go with it. And if they would have got dirt on it, they would have had to take those off and they would have had to put new ones on and they probably would have had to clean again. And then because the understanding that the tabernacle gave us was that you have to be clean to enter the most holy place of God. And so you cannot have the fullness of faith and still think that you can be blemished by sin. It, it, no, that, that has to be wiped away. And we wipe that away by using Messiah as the doormat that we walk as he did. We uh, crucify ourselves, And when we do, that's supposed to put us in a place of humility that, well, I'm safe. 
I'm, I have this salvation now. I want others to have it. So if you want to rub your feet on me and that gives you a chance to have this salvation, then that's what I should want anyway. And again, there's, there's a balance in it because there are times where we need to stand up and say, Hey, what you're doing is wrong. Your, your, your father's the devil. But then beyond that, Messiah didn't sit there and try to convince them of it. He just made factual statements in order to give them an opportunity to clean their feet. And he came in that humble state, and that's what we need to do. When we are leading somebody, we need to lead. It's like you said, it's leadership is lead, not tell. You can tell somebody, hey, this is what you need to do. But if you haven't done it first and you haven't shown the example of it, why would I listen to anything you say? You tell me to get away from sin. I know you sin because I see it. I'm not going to listen to you. Why? Because you're not leading by example. So the objective goal in faith, if you're going to be a godly husband, is keep your mouth shut until you're acting in accordance with the reality of truth of God. And then you have an opportunity to say something. You lead first and speak last. You make sure that whatever, because you might see something that your wife does and you know it's not appropriate according to God and you automatic, well, that's not right according to God and you need to stop and you need to this and you need to that and you need to be submissive. And But you didn't take the golden rule and turn it back to yourself first. Make sure you're living like that. Make sure you're doing that. Make sure you're being what you're supposed to be before you bring that to them because it will change your demeanor and your attitude in how you bring something to somebody. If you've already dealt with it, you know how hard it is to, to work through. You're going to have a more of a uh, peace or a comfort for them instead of an attack. It's going to actually be like you're coming with as an ally offering bread and wine instead of coming as an enemy with weapons of war. And too many times we see it all the time that the things that are being brought are the weapons of war. If somebody's being hateful to you, what's that to you? If you've been cleansed by God, doesn't matter. They, they, can't, they can't take away your salvation. And so if they're going to be hateful to you, they're going to be hateful. Does that mean you have the authority or the ability to change your demeanor because of them being mean? No. No, my objective goal and God's objective goal for me in faith is that I'm going to live this faith the way God wants me to, and that's in humility. And so I'm going to make sure that to the best of my ability, I'm taking every thought captive. 
I'm seeing something in somebody else. I turn it back to myself first. I make sure that I figure out where I'm doing that. I'm doing it because I see it. If I see it, then I need to fix it. So I fix that first. Then I can go and I can talk to the other person. And so leadership is truly about what it means is if you're going to be the spiritual leader of what, uh, from the perspective of the husband to the wife, then lead, show them what it's supposed to look like. It's no different than the, uh, woman to the children. How many times do we tell kids what they did wrong and then punish them when they didn't even really, they didn't know they did wrong until you just told them. And, but they turn around, well, you did, you did the same thing over here. And if they don't say it when they're younger, they'll say it when they get a little bit older that they'll call you out on the things that you call them out on. And then they turn around and call you out on it. Wouldn't it be better for you to make sure whatever issue you're going to correct in your children that you've corrected it in yourself first and then you take it to them. And yeah, there may be a consequence, a punishment or whatever it is that comes with it because, you know, well, we've talked about this and we told you what was going to happen and you disobeyed that. And so now you have to pay the consequence. And if you do it again, the consequence is going to be increased so that you learn your lesson. But here's the biggest problem that there is with parents and kids is that the parents aren't living at first. The parents aren't seeing that that kid learned to lie because you lie. If a kid grows up in a house and there's absolutely no cursing in that house, that kid's not going to curse. Why? Because they haven't been exposed to it. Only when they've been exposed to it will they act out in such a way, whether it's cursing, whether it's uh, lying, cheating, stealing, doing whatever, hating somebody, because you think kids don't see the interactions that take place between a husband and a wife, and you think that they're they're in their bed asleep and now they're awake and they're hearing all the, the hateful words that are being said. And that sends them a message of programming that says, well, when you get older, then it's okay to, to yell at each other and to uh, say hateful things. And then when they say something hateful to you, you turn around and you lash out at them without any regard for the fact that you have done the same thing to your husband or your wife that's where they learned it. And now what? Because the kid is going to learn their behaviors from the ones that they're predominantly around. Now, if they're predominantly around a caregiver, then they're going to act more like the caregiver uh, than they are the parent. The objective goal is make sure that whatever you tell anybody that they're doing that is wrong, you make sure you've already addressed that issue within yourself and you've taken care of it 
because that's how you lead and that's how you will program a child into seeing it. That's where, where you will give the example to another adult that they want to, uh, well, I want to be programmed the same way because I want to be able to, you know, when I go to discipline my kids, I want to be able to do it with a calm. Well, the only way you're going to do that is going to be first for you to recognize that they learned it from you. So I need to fix that issue before I even address it in them. And then after you fix the issue in yourself, now you have compassion and understanding. You won't have fury and rage. And now we can talk it out. And I taught you this. I've changed it. You need to change it. If this behavior continues, there'll be a consequence. There needs to be conversation, that type of stuff. And this is just as well with a, a husband to a wife. But none of what we're talking about is you trying to convince or you trying to force somebody to do something. Because it doesn't matter. You can, you can force a kid to uh, be in timeout in the room. But you can't force them to change the behavior. Only they can change that behavior by them deciding that, well, I don't want to do this. Well, if you are a young parent, then start off your life with, with this aspect of teaching the kid right. And you won't have the issues. This is why when you raise a child in the way that they go, they will not depart from it when they get older. Well, that's because whatever way you raise them, they won't depart from it. If you let them get away with lying or if you lie and cheat and steal with them uh, and they see that, they're going to grow up to lie and cheat and steal. But they'll do what everybody else does is try to cover it up and hide it so nobody can see it. And so as a spiritual leader, as a man of God, your, your first priority is to see justice done at every point, just like you had brought up before, that you have this indignation, longing and alarm to see justice done at every point. And the first point I'm going to start with is myself. If I start with myself and make those corrections, I don't have anger and aggravation towards those people that act the same way that I did. I have compassion and understanding because I recognize I had that issue. It was a struggle and I had, I, I had a hard time working through to get through it. So I understand what it takes. So now we can have a sensible uh, conversation about it. And it's the same thing with a wife that if you want to sit there and tell your wife to be submissive, are you being submissive? Are you being submissive to Yah? Are you being submissive to Messiah? Are you uh, loving her like Christ loved the church? Are you really doing those things? Because if you don't, then you're not submitting to God. And therefore, if you don't submit to the rules of God, why would she submit to the rules of you? Because you're not showing the example. And this is the key factor in all of it. If you're going to choose to have that position of leadership, you have to have confidence. And that confidence comes from you correcting yourself first. And then if there's something that needs to be said, you'll say it and it'll come out with compassion and understanding. And then when you come at somebody with compassion and understanding, they're not going to throw their defenses up. There's no need for them to throw their defenses up because you're not attacking them. 
you do it any other way, you're attacking them and they're going to respond differently. They're going to put up their uh, weapons of war. And if you're a husband that you're starting this journey, you have to go through the boot camp and then get on the battlefield to be able to know what's necessary, what's right, what's appropriate. And the biggest key is when you make a decision, this is why we talk about having that constant conversation with God, like Paul talked about praying unceasingly, is that we want to make sure that everything we do is appropriate according to God, because that's the example we're setting for other people. And those who want to have faith will follow the example of Messiah. So don't think that Messiah wasn't careful in the way he lived his life because he knew that he was there, that when we follow his example, then we will have salvation. It was coming to mind in regards to authority and why, why people have a, a problem with authority, especially if we're talking about a man being a leader and the, the woman will just use it as a, the wife to the husband that, well, well, I have to do what you say because you have authority over me. And I was just thinking about authority that a lot of times people will look at authority as because if you're in a higher position, that means that you're looking down on me. But authority, because you think about authority, if somebody is living it right and they're treating you fairly, why would you have a problem with somebody having authority over you? If you see that that person is doing what is right, fair, and just, just as Yah does it, why would anybody have a problem with it? It's just like with the slaves in the Old Testament that if you were a slave and you wanted to stay with that owner, that you would get a your ear pierced with an awl to mark that you're going to stay with that family because you're being treated fair and just. But why do people have a problem with men having authority? Are we as men living it right according to God? That That's the thing. I was just sitting there thinking, wow, because you look in the world and are you going to go to your job and your manager – if you have a manager over you, you're going to say, yeah, that manager's over me, so I have to. Or you say, yeah, they're my manager. They have authority over me, and that's their position. Well, and that's the thing is that in the authority line of God, it's it says that man's head is uncovered. You know, we answer to Messiah, and then woman in line with man, and then woman, uh, excuse me, the children with the woman. But it's a line of authority, and it doesn't mean that, okay, if you have authority over somebody that you treat them harshly. No, it's called to the husbands. It says, husbands, don't be harsh with your wives. Well, that means if you've been harsh, then there's a problem. So it's not about you being harsh. It's about you being confident and saying what's fair and right and just to do. But why would somebody not fall in line with the authority? Well, people can choose not to, but the best way for somebody to be in line is you're doing it right and fair, and then therefore... That's the example that goes down the line, just like with the company. Why do most companies fail? Is it because of the employees not doing what they do? Or is it from the top down that management is causing problems and then that trickles down? And that's the same thing with Yah, that the, it starts from the top down. So if, and Yah isn't, but if Yah was corrupt, then that corruption would go all the way down to the bottom. And a lot of times we, we want to blame other people, but is your conduct good? Are you doing what is right, fair, and just in order that somebody has the best opportunity to follow that example? 
and just like with anything, it's contagious. When you're living it right, it will be around to other people. And I think it might be in Titus that it was talking to the believers about making sure that you're making the gospel of God attractive. That doesn't mean that you're throwing it in somebody's face, but think about it. What makes somebody attractive is you see their persona and I like that. I want that. Well, the best way to make the gospel of God attractive is to live it. And to those that really want that, it will be attractive to them. That This isn't us going out and making up stories to get it attract, get, make us attractive. It's not going to work. But to those that are seeking with all their heart, if we're living it right, then that will be attractive to people. So make sure above all else is that you're living it right. But I, it just came to mind that in the, where we were starting with the podcast in regards to men and authority is that you have authority over somebody, then make sure that you are living it right. And that's the best opportunity for somebody else to fall in line with that authority. But if you're not living it right and you get frustrated because other people aren't following your example, then evaluate your example. And is this example worth following? And I know in my life I've struggled and still struggle at times with respect. Well, I don't understand why people don't respect me and why do people not show me respect? But am I being respectable? Am I acting in a respectable way towards somebody else in order to command respect, not demand? And men out there, you tell me that you haven't attempted to demand things over people. You will, you, you demand that you respect me. Demanding respect from somebody is not going to get it. The, the way to get respect from somebody is for you to actually act in a respectable manner. And in that fashion, you command respect by your actions. And therefore, that's the best way to get it. But I was just sitting there thinking about authority. And I'm just seeing that most people would have no problem with authority over them if the person is doing it right, fair, and just. But we're in a position a lot of times where we're put in a position and we attempt to lord things over people. And the word very clearly says that do what is right, but don't lord it over people, which means don't attempt to force things. Just tell the people, tell the person what is right, fair, and just to do, and then leave it alone because we cannot motivate anybody. Motivation has to come from the inside of the other person. All we can do is influence. And that's what God does is they'll bring something to somebody's attention and they'll leave it alone because I'm, I'm not going to be able to make you change anything. All I can do is bring this to your attention and I'll let it go and just watch you and just see what happens. And if I need to step in again and say, Hey, evaluate this and then see what happens. And then if something else needs to happen, it may be a rebuke or something like that. But men out there that are in a position of authority, if you are looking for respect from other people, be respectable first. And that's the best opportunity for you to actually get respect from other people. That was just coming to mind because I know for me that even had it recently, just this time last Saturday, I started to get frustrated with something and I was telling myself, let it go. It's not worth it. It's not just let it go. And learning the lesson that I, I got upset about it and then come back later, realized and said, you know what? I was wrong in this. I'm not going to do that again. But it's so important because for men, respect is a big issue. And the best way that you can uh, gain respect from somebody is to be respectable yourself instead of attempting to tell somebody to respect you. Most of the time, that's that will not get you the respect that you're looking for.
And to be respectable, you have to be able to respect other people. If you want somebody to trust you, you have to find a way to trust them. And that takes faith that if you want to be trustworthy, you want to be worthy of trust. Well, how worthy of trust are you if you never trust anybody else? How are you worthy of trust? Because you look at, well, they're just, they're going to do me wrong or they're going to do instead of, you know what? I'm going to have confidence that uh, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I'm, I'm going to trust that this person is going to do what they say they're going to do. Even though I've seen in the past that they've done things and you know what? I'm going to hold on to trust that I'm just going to trust that you're going to do it. And if you don't do it, no big deal. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm just going to move on. Uh, because that's how you are. That's another piece of how you are to be trustworthy and how you are to be respected. And there is an aspect of, like you talked about, commanding respect. And what does that look like? You know, because someone might, somebody might look at that and say, well, that means you, you, you just have to say that you will respect me. No, no, no. That's, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about not tolerating inappropriate behavior and comments as far as it pertains to you, where if you're coming at me in an ugly way, I'm not going to let it bother me. I'm not going to hold it against you, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to let it bother me because then I'm taking it personal. And if I'm going to command respect, then I'm going to speak the truth and I'm then I leave it alone. Hey, you better watch what you're doing. You're just Messiah did, did the same thing with the Pharisees that your father's the devil. That was an aspect of commanding respect. He wasn't trying to get them to respect him. He was speaking the truth and the truth is what will give you respect. When somebody can't argue with what you say, and they recognize that what you're saying is truth and it's not changing and it never will change, then they know that it's not yours anyway. And so that gives them a reason to respect you because they know that you're going to be speaking the truth and doing what is right. And this is why the actions are much more important than the uh, words that you speak. Because the words that you speak uh, and you can speak only after you take the action necessary for you to deal with whatever it is within yourself. Because then you're, that proves that you're acting in accordance with the truth that you're speaking. Because I could speak something that's true, but if I'm not living it, then how can you respect me if I'm telling you something that you're doing wrong and I'm doing the exact same thing wrong, except I'm not acknowledging that I'm doing the same thing wrong. I'm not uh, either accepting it or seeing it or just not acknowledging it. And so where does that leave us in hypocrisy? Hypocrisy is when you are speaking with your mouth about the issues that somebody else has 
and yet you do no action to fix that issue within yourself. There's a difference if you recognize you have an issue and you're working on that issue, then you have an opportunity to then go to the other person in compassion and understanding and say, hey, I recognize this issue. I can uh, speak to that. And so let me explain this to you. Uh, That will help for that other person to respect you, but you're not going to get respect in one moment. By consistency, we will prove trustworthy. By consistency, we will prove uh, that we can be respected and that we are respectable. And that's the thing. If you're not respectable, if you don't have the ability to be respected, then there's no reason people should respect you. And if if you want to be respected, then be respected based in the truth of God, which means you work it out, you settle it in yourself. And then if God wants you to bring a, an issue up to your wife, then you bring it up and then you let it go. Hey, I, I've done the same thing. And uh, if you want help with it, let me know. And then turn around, walk away, leave it alone because you let your, the actions that whatever that is could come up and you're like, no, not, not letting that come up and you don't let it come up. And the other person sees in that circumstance that you didn't let it come up. And now you've proved to them that you can be respectable and you can be trusted. But if you make promises to people and you're constantly breaking those promises, you're not trustworthy. And if you're not trustworthy, how, how can you expect somebody to trust you? And so, I mean, trust is built over you proving your trustworthiness, which means that, you know what? I'm not going to promise anything unless I know with absolution that I'm going to fulfill it. And that's regardless of anything. And especially you make a promise to God because they're going to demand it of you. You profess uh, turning your life over to them, but yet you still sin. You're going to answer for that. And so we don't want to be in that position. And that's the beautiful thing is that because we've been in sin, that we have sinned, all have sinned, but we found a place through circumcision of the heart where we don't sin, that that gives us, that makes us trustworthy in the offering of the gospel message of God because we've walked it. And there be people out there that, well, you, 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 can't, you can't not sin. It's just that you, you're human. You just can't be in that place where you can't sin. And, you know, you can, but you can't understand it. I understand why they're saying that because they haven't experienced a place of no sin and therefore they can't understand how you can have that and it doesn't make sense. But if you work, walk the journey of the gospel message, then you will get to the place, circumcision of the heart, you will have that place of a sin-free life and then you will understand. But even when you get circumcision of the heart, it takes you a while to evaluate, to recognize, to see that 
you have these things that come with circumcision of the heart. And these are just uh, important things as men that we need to know because we need to be living it right. And I'll turn it over to you in just a second. The key factor in anybody who is in faith in God is that you're living it right. Because by you living it right, Sean, you give your wife the greatest ability for her to to live it right. If a woman is living it right, then she helps the husband, but you help not by telling them, you help by showing them, by being the example. And this is what Paul was talking about in Corinthians when he talked about uh, marriage and how, how uh, wife do you know that you will save your husband or how husband do you know that you will save your wife? Well, it's by your living the faith, right? You living it and being what you're supposed to be, and then everything else will fall in line. You, because if you want to make it easier for the other person to do what they're supposed to do, you make sure you're doing what you're supposed to do. And if you have both people that are working and walking in accordance with the reality of truth of God, they will do nothing but uh, increase and improve and be better for one another. And they won't have fights and quarrels. They won't have arguments. You won't have uh, the discord in the midst of it. But regardless of whether the other person is doing that or not, that's up to you. You are to live your part and don't worry about them anyway. Cause after all wife, you have to answer for God for the way that you act. And if you don't act in accordance with what God asked you to act, that's disobedience. You're not going to be in the kingdom. Husband, same thing. If you're not doing what you're supposed to do and what you're called to do, you will not be in the kingdom because you're disobeying the uh, aspects and the law of faith and God. And so just very important that you can help the other person, but you help them by your actions of righteousness, not by your telling them their misaction of righteousness. And you'll know, you don't have to answer, but you'll know the answer to this what Yah told Cain. He didn't say, Cain, if you tell other people to do what is right, you'll be accepted. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? That's what it's about because it's, that's why Yah says, rend your heart, not your garments. Look, Yah, I'm, I repent. You see, cause I'm, I'm tearing my clothes. I've got ashes. And, and Yah's like, you're not repenting. You're just attempting to you're pretending that you're contrite and you're just indignation longing and alarm but you could sit there you could tear your clothes and be laying on the floor just weeping before god not saying a word out of your mouth and yah says oh that's a contrite heart because they know who they are they see who they are before me they're walking and and you know those times where well in the word it says that the the spirit knows our weaknesses and that we may not know what to say well you're speaking from your heart. So it doesn't mean you've got to go before God and audibly out of your mouth, say anything you, you say a lot by just walking in humility towards other people that 
and we talked about this before that, you know, yeah, you know, humble myself before God, but you don't humble yourself before other people. How can you be humble before God? Because you would think, well, how difficult is it to be humble before God? Well, but if you can't humble yourself before somebody else, then you're not going to be humble before them. I had this thought, and you can just think back in your past as well. Before faith in God, what does the world teach you about what a man is and does? Well, the man doesn't share his emotions. He doesn't cry because a man, you're a sissy if you cry. So you're programmed that you don't show emotion. You hide it. Well, you got to be tough and you got to have the goatee or the beard and you got to have the tattoos because you got to show you're a man and you're tough and you got to be tough. Well, does the word of God say anything about you being tough that way? Does the word of God say anything about you're not supposed to cry? And does the word of God say anything about you're not supposed to be kind and gentle? Well, no, you can't be gentle and kind because you'll be weak. No, because we're told that Messiah was meek and meekness is not weakness. It's actually confidence in the, in the truth and walking in it. It's being that doormat is I'm here to support you. And being meek isn't weakness because it's actually strength that you tell me how much strength it is, is if you go out today somewhere and somebody comes up to you for no reason and punches you and you punch them back. Well, look at that, that they deserved it. Or does it take more strength to say, well, I don't know why they struck me, but the word of God says that to turn the other cheek. So father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And well, that takes more control than anything else, but a, a real man would fight back. Yeah. But is that true? Because Messiah taught turn the other cheek. He's saying, don't seek revenge and trust yourself to the one who judges righteously. So men out there, if you think that you're being tough and you got to pick a fight, is that the way Yeshua was living? Did he say to go out and pick fights among people and prove that you're manly and prove that you're strong? No, you prove your strength by trusting in God. And what a godly example to where, and it's more for the people around than for the other person, but somebody picks a fight with you and you walk away from it. Well, you're a sissy because how many fathers out there, if they have a, if I had a son of mine that walked away from a fight that they'd never be in my house again, or they're no man in my house. If somebody picks a fight and you say, you know what? I'm not going to fight you. I don't have any, I'm not going to fight. You'd be looked at as weak. And what does that program you? Well, you're weak. So therefore you're not a man. And well, you're only a man if you can hunt or you're only a man if you're this or that, or you're a man's man, like all this programming that's out there. And I would say this, that men don't know what a man is because if you did, then it would line up with the truth of God. And same with us. If we knew what a man was, 10, 12 years ago, then why would we be going through the process of, no, you think that a man is just supposed to be all together and not cry? No, you're just suppressing and making it harder for yourself because what happens when you don't show emotion is you'll have that moment where that pressure cooker, and I've had this and you have too, that pressure cooker builds up and what happens? It explodes and all the shrapnel and all that, or not shrapnel, but like if you had a grenade or something, but all of that debris hurts everybody else around you when you're the one that suppressed all of that instead of talking it out because us as men are men taught to have conversations with other men or other women. No, you, you don't talk. You, that, that's, you don't do that. That's what women do. You, and it's like, it just came to mind about all the programming that's out there and, and men and women both deal with the same thing because 
women are attempting to figure out, well, I know the Bible, I believe God when they say to be submissive, but yeah, help me to do this because I've got all this programming. And yeah, I know that the world says this about men, but help me to love my wife as Christ loved the church because there's so much garbage in my lower conscience. Help me to dig through this as I look for it. Show me and help me in your word how to live this and change my behavior because it takes time. But there's just so many things. And you tell me you go out on the street and you see, let's just say like a, a biker and they have the tattoos and the goatee and all that. And you, you ask them, why do you have all this? Well, it's just, I just like it. Well, but why are you doing it? I don't know. It just, when I was a kid, I just, okay. But so you don't know why you have the tattoos or, and as opposed, as opposed to, yeah, you know what? I did this because I really wanted to get attention from other people. And that's why I did it. Oh, well, that makes sense. Okay. doesn't mean it's right or wrong, but, and even speaking to myself, how many things do I do that I have to stop myself and say, why am I doing this? And, and I'll, I've had times recently and I'll actually say, I don't know why I'm doing this. Well, that's a way to evaluate. Well, dig and figure out why you're doing it. Because if you know why you're doing it, then you can figure out and you can make a change in it. But because I, like you and I look different, like you have right now, you, I don't know if you're, you're probably not growing a beard, but you have kind of a more, keep more of a facial hair than me. Well, the reason that I do that is because when I was growing up, my dad was clean shaven most of the time. So I had the tendency to be clean shaven. Plus the fact of just with my um, beard and stuff, it doesn't grow very much. So it gets to a point where it just stops kind of like the Chia pet. It just gets there to a certain and doesn't grow any further. So just get rid of it. But there's just things that we all do like that. And with faith, we're able to actually have the opportunity to figure out something as simple as why the wit or why the goatee or why the long hair, the short hair that we can say, wow, that's the reason I'm doing it because I'm attempting to either get attention from somebody, get respect. There's some reason for why we do what we do that as I'm speaking, that that's the thing that we all do what we do for a reason. There is no coincidence or, or luck of why we do things. We may not see the reason why, that we're actually doing what we do, but there is a reason. And that's why Yah says, stop making excuses because there is no excuse before me because you can't excuse it away because there's a reason why you did what you did. And that's on you to have to answer that. But just thinking about the programming, since we're focusing on men that, man, there's so much garbage out there about what men are supposed to be and do the best you can. Those that are seeking with all your heart to be the godly man, to put that stuff aside and seek God and ask Abba and Yeshua's help to be able to show you what a man is. Well, the more one feels like they have to challenge somebody just shows, right. It, it, it shows their insecurity that they're insecure. And the more insecure somebody is, the more, uh, the more loud they're going to be, the more verbal they're going to be about it uh, because of their insecurity. And so I'm trying to find security. If, if I beat you up, that makes me stronger than you. And the reality is, is no, it doesn't. The uh, aspect that you spoke about that is the key to a man being able to be a godly man in this world is 
restrain and refrain. That you don't restrain the word of God. You restrain self. You you restrain uh, acting out when somebody is getting personal with you instead of uh, acting out because it's the right thing to do. Messiah, when he was here, though he laid down as a doormat, okay, what you can't see, okay, well, you see a doormat, and, well, you can just, you just get trampled on. No, but you don't see the whole of it, that, no, he's actually a all-encompassing God that can swallow you up in a heartbeat, but all you see is a doormat, something you can wipe your feet on to get the dirt off of, and that was the purpose of him coming, was he was from God, so he wasn't a doormat, but he chose to place himself as a doormat. He came with no splendor that we should be drawn to him so that we had an opportunity to wipe our feet. Do you, do you think that you're going to go to uh, a somebody's house who is rich and arrogant and you think they're going to let you wipe their feet on them before you enter into their house? No. No, they... So what Messiah did was he reversed that. He has the, the most beautiful house you could ever enter into, and he's made himself as the uh, the mat for you to wipe his, wipe your feet off on. But you're wiping your feet off on him is not a disdain and a, yeah, take that and take. No, it's a, I have the opportunity to clean my feet here, and so I'm going to clean my feet. So that which seems to be uh, not noble, of a task from the doormat perspective, you think, well, that's not really noble. Well, that's more noble because look at his words to, uh, I believe it was Pilate when he said, uh, don't you know that I could call a legion of angels to come to my side, that I have the ability, but I choose to be a doormat. I, I choose to let these people crucify me and beat me and put me on a cross to die and not fight against it. Why? Because beyond the meekness is a huge aspect of God that you can't touch, you can't destroy. And I have the ability to destroy you, but I choose not to. I choose to let you beat on me. I choose to let you crucify me in hopes that you will recognize that well, I didn't fight back. So Messiah, he was one of the greatest examples of uh, security in life and in faith that he didn't have to challenge people and he didn't have to buck up and he didn't have to fight back because he had meekness, which is restrain and refrain, which is the most strength you have does not come from lashing back. It takes nothing for you to, uh, somebody strikes you and you immediately strike back. That, that, that doesn't really take any thought process and uh, it takes no strength at all. What takes strength is somebody strikes you and you turn them the other cheek and they strike you again and you still don't strike them back.
you know, a lot of people think, well, <clears throat> well, I'll turn the other cheek. And you hit me the one time, but you hit the other one. Okay, I've turned the cheek. Now I'm coming back at you. No, that wasn't what Messiah was saying. You turn the cheek as many times as it takes. Why? Because you know you have the power in God to destroy somebody. But you choose to follow the same path as Messiah and say, no, I choose not to destroy you in this way. I choose to come to be an, a, a, an example so that you have the opportunity to cleanse yourself. And in the end, when he, when he returns and we got the thousand-year reign, Nate, you're going to see the difference between a doormat and a warrior. You're going to see the difference between what you get away with with somebody who's being meek and then you're not getting away with anything because now I'm rolling you with an iron scepter. You had the chance to cleanse yourself and you chose not to use me for that perspective. And now you're going to pay the price. And the price is torment here and, and torment eternally because once he returns, then there is no more faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so it has to be settled here in this life before you leave here and in order for men to be true men of God, they have to have the fullness of faith in God, circumcision of the heart, no sin. Then you have the ability to lay down your life for others. That, that, that's what Messiah is being the doormat. And for us, the same thing that, well, I already have salvation. And if I can lay down my life, if I can allow somebody else to trample on me, so what? Maybe they'll follow the example, my example, as I follow the example of Messiah, just like Paul said, because that's the importance of it. I had this, as we refer to as a tactile, a, and I, well, we're not going to do a tactile, but it came to mind an example in my mind of, because we have one of these mats that in my house, if I remember right. And when you wipe your feet on the mat, you don't like, I'll come up to the mat and just, you know, just very delicately stand on it. And then just a few times I'll just move my feet and then, or shake it and go in. But this thought came to mind of when, if you fall away, it says you, you insult the spirit of grace and you trample the blood of Messiah underfoot. So you turn it to where now, there's a difference between you standing on the doormat and you're cleaning it off to where you're now trampling Messiah underfoot to where you're, you're being, you're not treating that with respect at all. You're showing disdain to where you trample. Cause think about it in a crowd, if you get trampled, are you really caring about the other people or are you just, it's all about you and you're just, you know, getting trampled. And so it made me think about the actual trampling aspect of, that Messiah will lay there that you come with humility and you wipe your feet. But there's a difference when you, when you fall away, you have an arrogance now towards God, a hatred, and you start trampling what was done for you underfoot, which you accepted. Now you're trampling and that's a, a blatant defiance. And therefore there is no, no forgiveness for that because you're, you're insulting God because you're taking what was able to save you and treating it as a common thing. Like, you're taking the blood of Messiah and him giving that so that we can have salvation and you're treating it as, you know, it's just like you, you go to a dollar store and you buy something and you just throw it away. It means nothing to me anymore. And like, there's nothing more important 
or precious than the blood of Messiah, that's what's able to sanctify you. And you're treating it as just nothing, like it means nothing, that that's not going to be accepted. So be careful that we don't trample the blood of Messiah underfoot. Don't trample what he's done, respect what he's done, and he'll, you be respectful. He'll allow you to, to wipe your feet. And you think about a house that's completely white and pure, and you have one little speck of dirt, and it's just going to, you can't have it. You've got to have, you've got to be completely clean. You've got to, as in Revelation, that you'll be given white to wear because you're worthy. Well, that white is that purity that's with no sin. So make sure that men out there, that you're willing to be the doormat for others. And part of that is not taking it personal. It's making it personal by you evaluating yourself and you living it right because it's so simple with the programming to take things personal and to hold on to that and build resentment while well, let go of the resentment with the help of God and not take it personal because just like Stephen, just like Messiah, that I'm not going to take this personal job because they don't know what they're doing. They're not fighting against me. They're fighting against God. Just let it go. And that I can speak from experience. Letting go of resentment is a mindset change that you follow and work in practice of letting things go and not taking things personal because you take it personal and you get what's referred to as you get butt hurt because you take it and you're wronging me and you're treating me wrong. And yeah, but remember how wrong did we treat God and Yah forgave us and Messiah. So we're called to do the same thing as to forgive others because really the person coming at you, do they really know what they're doing? No. So since they don't know, is it fair and just for you to hold this against them? Put that in God's hands, who knows what they're doing, and Yah will take care of that person because Yah has given you mercy. Because I was listening, last, yesterday I was listening to an older podcast, and we should be showing mercy to others, but we can only do that when we realize the mercy that's been given to us. Realize what God has forgiven us of, and if you don't understand that, then you won't have mercy towards somebody else. Realize the mercy that God has given us, and when you recognize that, then you would then extend that mercy to other people. Well, when you have faith in God, you when we talk about the difference between respecting a doormat, which is using it and uh, to clean your feet off, or you're trampling a doormat. Now, as a man of God, you, we're not called to be a doormat that allows people to trample on him just like messiah when people came at him then he brought back right with the truth he didn't you know he didn't it wasn't defending himself but he was putting the truth right back at the pharisees uh because they were trying to trample him and in those situations messiah wasn't laid down as a doormat that he was up as a warrior that you have to watch the balance in the midst of it. When is the appropriate time to be a warrior? And when is the appropriate time to be the mat? When, when you're the mat, then you're allowing people to wipe their feet and they're, they're, you know, gingerly, or they're doing it in accordance with what's true. Or you got somebody that's just stomping on the mat and trying to pull it up and rip it. No, 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 no. Now the mat goes away and the warrior shows up because no, I'm not tolerating that. And, Messiah did that when he turned the tables in the temple, that he wasn't the doormat at that point. He, he was up in arms. And so 
there's a balance in it that you have to learn how to balance the two and make sure that you're not taking it personal, but you're, I'm not going to sit here and just let you just sit here and beat on me and beat on me and beat on me without any objective of change. I'm going to speak the truth and then I'm going to move on. I'm going to move away from you because no, my peace isn't going to rest here. So I'm taking up my doormat. I'm going to go somewhere else where my peace will rest. And so it's just really important that we recognize that there are times where you will speak up and be firm in your speaking about what the truth of God is because it's necessary. But once you speak it, then you're not going to try to enforce it. That That's not our responsibility because then you're trying to force somebody into doing uh, what's right. And somebody's not going to do what's right if they don't want to do what's right. If they truly want to do what's right, then they'll work it out and they'll figure it out. And there's just a whole lot of stuff, a whole lot more that we could get into when we talk about uh, men and their responsibilities and how to uh, do things. I, I did want to bring up the aspect of authority because a lot of times that's a, a big question that comes out. Uh, a lot of times women want to know, well, what about the, what is authority and what, what is the man's authority and what does that mean? Well, a lot of times authority is uh, looked at as uh, an unequal perspective, but authority does not go from the bottom up. It goes from the top down. So if you're underneath, like we're under Messiah, do we have the authority to ask God, well, why are we under Messiah? Why, why is, why is he the authority over us? And Messiah doesn't, well, why is God the authority over me? What I don't understand. And that's not right. And no, because you're, you're thinking of it from a uh, worldly temporal perspective that you think you know what you're talking about when it comes to authority, and this is both men and women, but the reality is you don't. <clears throat> it's responsibility based in what your design is. You, you, If there's a problem at the bottom, then somewhere in the authority line, something got out of whack. Something's out of place. And so... And it might be that, well, you don't think that somebody should have authority over you, so well, I'm not going to listen to you. Okay, well, you just broke the line of authority, and that's where it's going to break. You know, Messiah is not going to break the line of authority with Abba, but man will break the line of authority with Messiah. They already have. They try to claim faith in him, but still do things that he wouldn't tolerate. And so they've broken that line of authority. And then once that line of authority is broken there, from there down, it, it follows suit. It's like, if you have a company with, uh, the, the owners are the top authority, but you have like, say a hotel and you have general manager at the hotel and you go through seven, eight general managers in 
two years, you, there's a problem. And that problem is at the top because something's not being seen and done right in order to retain those people in that position. And so things keep happening in that, in that line. And with God, that's what happens. It gets down past Messiah and either the man, uh, doesn't recognize or accept the authority Messiah has over him. And so he goes about living his life in sin and doing what he wants to do. Well, everybody else who falls underneath of that from authority perspective is not going to be able to do what is right unless they make a decision to uh, follow Messiah and do what Messiah uh, has uh, set for them to do. But it's the position at which God designed you is what they want you to fulfill. And it's up to each individual to go into the word of God and see what the word of God says. And then look at the great cloud of witnesses that we have from the past. And there were times where like Abraham, he went to war. Sometimes you have to go to war. He had to go to war to get Lot back. And then after the defeat of the Kings, when he gave the 10th of the, the spoils to Melchizedek, then he was blessed and moved on about his business, but he had to go to war. And in the midst of this, that this is where you have to know the balance of when are you going to go to war and is what you're going to war a right and just and noble cause because many wars uh, in the world are fight or be, fault because of selfishness because how it might affect you financially or you know some some aspect that's going to have an effect on you and so you're going to go over control this so that that aspect doesn't come back and haunt you in the end where it's like no is it really right and fair for you to go to war if it is go to war but you better make sure according to the reality and truth of god that that's what you're doing and it is appropriate because many many countries including this one have gone to war many times for selfish motives for uh, the motivation of uh, what we will gain or what we might protect from when there's not really an imminent threat on this actual land of somebody invading here. It's done in the oil realm or the uh, financial realm or wherever. And so we have to go and we have to control these people so that we're in a better position. And that's not the way God operates things. It's, it's operated from the perspective of what's best for everybody. That's what I'm going to do. And as a man and a spiritual leadership perspective, that's your objective goal is to do what is right for everybody, including God, you, your wife, your kids, anybody that you have contact with is to make sure that you're living your life right according to God. And then you can be an example for somebody. Otherwise, you're just an example for somebody who's going to fake it and then end up in the abyss after Messiah sends them away. Get away from me. I never knew you, you, you who walk, worked lawlessness. And, man, if you think you know what you're supposed to be, you don't. 
And if you think it's okay to uh, impress the fact of, like you like you said earlier, you tell your wife, well, the Bible says you have to be submissive, so you need to submit to me. Well, you're showing that you have a greater problem than the wife if you're t- if you're speaking to her in that way. There's a difference if you bring it up and hey, I'm not going to accept that behavior because the Bible says that you you should be submissive to me. So you need to go talk to God about that and figure that out. But if I'm, well, you need to be, the Bible says, and you need to submit to me. It's not even submission anyway. It's oppression because I'm trying to force you to do something that I want you to do. And don't get me wrong. It's okay to want your wife to submit to you because that's where you'll see that she respects you. If, she doesn't submit to you, then you recognize she doesn't respect you. And from her perspective, that's on her because God says to respect your husbands. Well, you can't respect your husband if you don't submit to your husband. And that submission is not an oppressed perspective of, well, I guess, well, God said I have to do this, so I'm going to do it. And so I'm submitting. No, submission is a willful thing that you choose you want to do. And guys, you need to know that uh, a woman has to choose to submit for it to be submissive. And if you try to force her to submit, you try to uh, use the word of God to get her to submit, then you're just pushing her to more of an oppressive perspective. And that's the word that people see in this day and age when submission is mentioned. Women automatically go to thinking oppression. Now, why would that be? Because men have not lived their faith journey, and therefore they're not able to show a woman a man who's worthy of submission. Now, does that relieve her from her responsibility? No, but we're not talking about her. We're talking about you. So if you don't get that submissive perspective from your wife, it's on you because you haven't proved that you have the, uh, you have what's necessary for submission. And then we could go to the other side and talk about that. But the reality is, is that are you uh, being a man that warrants someone to submit to you? That means you have to be respectable. You have to be trustworthy. You have to be living it right. You have to be doing everything in accordance with what is right according to God and not with what you feel or you take something personal. And that's when you are supposed to use the restrain and the refrain when you feel it rising up as personal. No, I'm not going to take this personal. I'm just going to speak the reality of truth and I'm going to leave it alone. I'm not going to worry about how this affects me because in the end, it's not, they're not saying stuff against me. They're saying stuff against God. If we speak the truth of God as we do and somebody fights against it, they don't realize that they're fighting against God. They think they're fighting against you and me, but they're fighting against God because it's God's truth that we speak. And again, this is why it's important that 
we make sure that what we speak we know is true and therefore we protect ourselves from having to answer to God because we misspoke uh, about something that isn't true. And it goes back to what we've said before, speak what you know and know what you speak. But in order for you to know what you speak, if you know what you speak, you're going to act what you speak. So you will be acting at first and then you will then speak about it so that others will be able to see that you're doing what you say or you're telling them to do and you're not being a hypocrite. You're not having the hypocrisy because you're already working on and dealing within those issues within yourself. Hypocrisy does not mean that you have the same issue that somebody else has. It's the pretending that you don't have it and somebody else has it, or you're not doing anything to fix it in yourself, but you're trying to fix it in somebody else. That's where hypocrisy is. If I recognize that I have an issue and I'm working on it, and then I come to you and bring that same issue to you, that's not hypocrisy because I'm speaking the truth and I'm speaking it because I know it because I'm already dealing with it. I'm already working through it. And so, Sean, do you have anything else as we finish for this morning? Nothing? Okay. And just people need to know that have faith in God and let Abba, as a man of God, let, let Abba be the example. When you are going to say something to your wife, when you're going to uh, do something with or for your wife, there's a question that you can ask. Would Abba, would the father say this, do this, or treat mother, the spirit, this way? And if the answer is no, then don't do it. Refrain, restrain and refrain because it's not appropriate. Because we have a, a perfect example of what a man of God is supposed to look like, just as women have a perfect example in mother of what a woman of God is supposed to look like. So we have that example and we have the ability to say, I want to say this to my wife. Is this something that Abba would say to Ima? Is this something that the father would say to the mother? And if the answer is no, then if you're if you have faith in God, then you'll walk in accordance with that same thing, and you'll treat her with respect. You'll treat her uh, with honor and glory because isn't that the way that the Father treats the Spirit? And so these are things that you have to learn as a man to get away from what the world and what you've been programmed to think you're supposed to be as a man. And a man is not one who is supposed to be controlled by a woman. That, that's what Paul was talking about, the issue in Corinth, that I do not allow a woman to speak with authority over a man in the church. Not that she can't speak in the church, but I do not allow her to speak with authority over a man in church. Um, why? Because she's in the line of authority that God has laid out from God to Messiah, to man, to woman, to woman, to children, she doesn't fall in that line above the man. So it's her responsibility to do that. But 
it's not your responsibility as a man to make her do that. If you want to see her in that position of submission, then you have to live it right yourself and don't worry about her. And then only speak when y'all makes it clear that you're supposed to say something. And I can tell you from experience myself that this is a factual perspective. You fix yourself and you take care of yourself. God will work on the other person. Make sure you're doing it right. And when you're doing it right, then you give somebody reason because you're respectable and trustworthy to walk, to follow your example as you're following the example of Messiah. So, man, though there are many, uh, many more things that we could talk about, and I'm sure we will do other podcasts um, referring to this aspect. Know that your responsibility in faith is, is to make sure that you are living it right, and then you're in constant conversation with God to uh, make sure that you're doing, as Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, but doing it from an appropriate perspective, doing it from a uh, submissive perspective, not an oppressive perspective. And you will see that when you're not trying to oppress a woman, then you will open the door for her to submit to you because you're proving that you're trustworthy, that you're not going to take advantage of her and you're not going to do things that are inappropriate. And that's what she's looking for anyway. She wants to know that you're not going to take advantage of her. So prove to her you're not going to take advantage of her. Uh, that's the reality of it. So for this podcast, uh, we're going to end this now. and. I'm, like I said, I'm sure we'll talk about this again because there's so much more uh, from the programming perspective that men have than what they think in this world. But as for now, for me and Sean, we're going to sign off for today and we will be back on Tuesday evening, 730, Lord willing. Uh, and we'll see what podcast that we get into, what whatever mother gives Sean will be what we'll be talking about. Have a good day, everybody. Thank you for joining us today on Hidden Treasures Revealed. We want to leave you with this thought. The greatest treasure in life, and especially in faith, is discovery. If we try to convince you of things, you may gain head knowledge, but if we let you discover things, you will have heart knowledge to know and understand and be able to give a good answer for the faith that you have. Treasure hunters seek treasure nonstop. Seek the treasure of God through conversation with them and through their word. Ask, seek, and knock. Ask, and you will receive. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. Seek the hidden treasure of God and you will be blessed by it.